accident. I almost missed it. I almost missed it. Mm. <laughs> How are you, Jolene? Fantabulous. How are you doing? Oh, man. Uh, I'm good, but also at the same token, it's like, you know, it's interesting. I'm just glad that, you know, officially your boy is negative. Feeling good, feeling blessed. Okay. Butter is also negative. He tested negative too, so confetti. Okay. So okay. thank you all for the wonderful prayers and good thoughts, as well as, again, home remedies and <laughs> things to take. Uh, wow. Can you believe it that this is going to be our first, our last Black History for, uh, for the year? The time is flying by. Man, Juneteenth really was here. Juneteenth All right. Was Huh? I know you. I said Juneteenth was lit. I know you were, you know, at home recovering, but I have it down. <laughs> but I tested negative on Juneteenth. So you were free. Good, st good stuff. Free good stuff. The, the bid. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? I am Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, all things galactic, and of course, give it up for the lady of leisure and lady. <laughs> yes, Jillian GC in the place to be. What does it, cousins, on this fine Tuesday, the day after Juneteenth? Yes. Well, welcome to the Come Up series. As you know, we're a show in which that we definitely try to give you as much information, whether it's economics, stock markets, entrepreneurship coming in there a little bit, as well as a few other things and all things in between. So that way you can get there to your generational wealth journey uh, by one. We're closing the racial wealth gap one generation. Like we got one generation, y'all, to do this. So we're going to make it happen. All right. So let's get some of the stuff out of the way. Like, for example, if you haven't subscribed yet. What are you waiting like, for? <laughs> what's going on? And then on top of that, if you like the Come Up series and if you think that you're going to like today's show, which, spoiler alert, I think that you will, go ahead and smash that like button down below. And on top of that, if you want to be in the know and if you want to be first in the chat and know when stuff is dropping, like our good old guy, Nadim Hussein. What's good, brother? Missed you. Uh, go ahead and hit that bell so that way you could be a part of the notification squad, aka the Cool Kids Club. All right, Jolyn. So, how did we do today? Like, what's going on? And then, of course, we gotta. Should we do the PSA first, or should we do? How should we do it? Let me get through all this, and then we'll do the PSA, <laughs> and then we'll get into the, the heart of it. <clears throat> but I gotta, okay. I gotta um, drink. A little bit more. <clears throat> All right, here we go. So the Dow, y'all, let's get into the this market market activity. The Dow was up positive, forty-one point forty-seven points. We are now at a level of thirty thousand five hundred thirty point two five. S and P five hundred was up eighty-nine point nine five points. We are now at the level of 3,764.79. And the NASDAQ up 270.95 points. We are now occupying the 11,069.30 level. Looking at this, the VIX is starting to simmer down just a tiny little bit. It's currently at 30.19. And the U.S. 10-year came down a little bit to 3.28. Heading over to sector performance, as you know, Mark, Last weekend, did you hear about last weekend? 
There's a lot that transpired. Well, there were eleven. There were eleven sectors last week, and just like there oh, was, just like there is every day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. All right, I can't got, believe it. I fell for that. I know. I was like, this is too obvious. We got energy, consumer discretionary, and consumer staples holding it down for the top three. For the bottom feeders, we have industrials, communications, and materials. Now, if you know where to find our picks, or if you don't know, rather, you can go to our Instagram page at that come up series. And if you do that, you will see one of the posts that lists all of our picks. And from that list, we got Tesla holding it down um, over, I think they're at 7-Eleven right now. I didn't check the aftermarket, but- Just like the gas. <laughs> what? Just like the gas. Pair <laughs> of 9.35 percentage points you know how tesla likes to move it goes up and it goes down hello volatility big swings all right then we have ticker symbol f-a-n-g aka diamondback energy up 8.17 percentage points and then we have t-q-q-q holding it up i almost said holding it down but holding it up really at 7.54 percentage points now for our bottom feeders we have meta the negative 4.09 percentage points joanne fabrics negative 6.78 points and sq2 7.47 percentage points or 7.47 percentage points to the downside now for the closing ceremonies of black history one moment please in the meantime to our historian brian Clyatt. Holding it down, brother. Holding it down. Here we go. <clears throat> confetti, 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 trumpets, drums, all that. On June 19th, enslaved African Americans in Texas finally received official word of their freedom. From that point, they commemorate the day as Juneteenth. And I will just read this one quote that has to do with that. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and property rights between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. So that was part of the message that was sent down to um, the people of um, Texas. And it took a minute. You know, this mm -hmm. was back in the day with, you know, Twitter. They didn't have social media. <laughs> right. So it took a minute. And honestly, you know, they probably weren't in a rush to tell. At people, all. You know? Um, what's interesting about this is the middle of this quote that says, this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and property rights. And we know even to this day, that is, has not been the case in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and that is why at the come up series, that's part of our goal is to close this racial um, wealth gap. And we do that in a number of ways by one coming on here once a week telling 
and talking about the market and opportunities and things of that nature, as well as being an example of, um, you know, what it looks like to, to lead, what it looks like to um, build community. And with that, Mark, that is my segue for you. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I want to address something really quickly, and I'm not going to take too much time to it because of the fact that I am really excited to get to the presentation that we've got going on today. But I wanted to address something as, you know, for the, you know, since we are from the culture and for it, then we definitely got to speak on it. Um, we heard about, you know, things that were transpiring within another community. Um, and that involves a person that has been here on the show that also happens to be a friend of mine by the name of Kiki Williams, who happens to run a group by the name of Stocks to Freedom. Now, Stocks to Freedom is not affiliated with the Come Up series or anything like that, but I do want to say that, you know, hey, as a friend of mine, through the good and through the bad, you know, Kiki, it's like, I support you. And at the same time, it's like when mistakes are made, it's always necessary to right those wrongs and to right the ship. So within the community, within the group in which that has been created, I hope that you guys are able to find peace. I hope that you guys are able to find resolution. And also one thing I would recommend because I mean, even myself, I was, you know, I made that mistake of bringing the type of issues onto the public landscape when it could have just been resolved by simple communication and a conversation. So if you can have that, have it. But for the most part, you know, if something was done wrong, write the ship. If things were said that were out of emotion, okay, let's move beyond emotion and let's start thinking with our heads and let's build and bring forth solution to the culture. Because that is ultimately who definitely does not benefit from the dramatics in which that we see. So resolve it. But at the same token, I'm still rooting for the individuals. I'm still rooting for Kiki. I'm still rooting for the people and I'm definitely always still rooting for the culture. So with that being said, I said my piece to that. You will not be hearing any more comments about it. Um, and I hope that we can move forward. So don't at me or anything like that. Let us move on. All right. So can we talk about, you know, this economic downturn or whatever? Yes. Because there's a lot that could be said. I think, honestly, Mark, I think today's topic of the economic downturn, in light of Juneteenth and everything, I think it's perfect context. So I'm excited to get into it. Whew, let's just take a breather <laughs> and reset the room. Reset the room. Can we <laughs> the chair over? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which way? <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's get it. Let's get it. So let us set up the presentation, please, if we may. Let me go oh ahead and God, get that going we for going everybody. Bill trip, Mark, to the school. We are going. Yeah. We're going on a trip and a really rocket ship. It's like I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So just so that way we're all on the same page. Hopefully everybody can see this presentation. We'll pause for the effect. <laughs> you can see it, Jolene. You got it. You yeah, got it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So. Y'all, you know how I feel about economics is like economics. If economics was a friend, then they would definitely be my best friend. Um, and then it's like, you know, we would like literally just like create a lot of dope stuff. 
And so you're going to find out why is it that I love economics so much and then also why does it play into every single decision-making process and which that plays out. But today, if you remember the title, we talk about things to know within an economic downturn. So let's definitely get to it. So I'm going to go ahead and give this the full breath that it needs. And let's go ahead and transition. All right, so let's get the obvious out of the way. Like, for example, what is a recession, right? So pretty much I'm going to read it on here just for those who like to hear it in audio. Uh, recession is a phase where the economic activities start falling or start to contract. So which means that they start to compress and come together. When the individuals spend less amount of money on the consumption of products and services, it leads to recession, which eventually affects the economic growth. Okay, so as we move forward, as you can probably see, we're talking about recessions today. So we're going to go through a brief history of recessions. Then we're going to talk about the type of recessions. Then we're going to talk about some of the signs, some of the effects. And then, of course, we're you know how we do. We like to go with the opportunities and, of course, the takeaway. And so with that being said, does anybody know in the chat, you know, what was the first recession ever recorded? Like, if you can put it in the chat, go ahead. You know, I'd love to see what your thoughts are. Um, so let's, let's hear it. Okay. So while everybody is, like, typing it out, like, you know, what was the first year of a recession recorded? All right. I guess we don't have the Jeopardy music to play, but that's all good because yeah. <laughs> we don't want to get hit with any copyright. All right. So let's go on and... Boom. So did you know that the earliest recession was actually 1893? Wow. So that was the Reading Railroad had failed, leading to another uh, rail, leading to other railway failures and a stock market crash. Banks uh, suspended cash payments, leading to the hoarding of cash and bank failures. So that's ultimately how it started. But let's let's look at a little bit of the fabric to it. Right. So, of course, the Bureau of Economic Analysis and also you can sometimes look at Bureau of Labor and Statistics also. Those two departments do some of the greatest work when it comes to looking at recession. Of course, economic analysis looks at what we call gross domestic product, a.k.a. GDP, that defines recessions. So, like, for example, in the next GDP reading, we're, we already read in flat, so I wouldn't be surprised if the next GDP reading, uh, reading comes in probably a little bit negative. And so I think that that's also something that the market has been pricing in because, of course, when you look at recessions over time, one of the key things to look at is the GDP number just to see exactly how many quarters consecutively does the market or does just GDP read as negative or, say, for example, as a bad read. That lets you know exactly if we're in a recession or not. Now, in this particular case of where we are today, we're at an inflection point. So either we can go negative in GDP or we can go back up where things start to flatten out and essentially inflation worry starts to settle and we're going to get into that in a little bit just as a refresher for folks but again that's where we really look at it now another part that we pay attention to is unemployment will peak at a recession as a recession ends so here's the thing to understand about unemployment it's a lagging indicator so like for example when you look at your indicators when it comes to let's say a moving average those are lagging indicators because it requires data so then we look at spending which typically starts to scale back so when unemployment is starting to go up then that means that essentially you're starting to see that businesses are starting to spend less so 
To keep it simple, have you know, or let's do another did you know, did you know that there are 19 noteworthy recessions in the history of the U.S.? Did you know that, Jolene? Mm-hmm. I saw oh. the prohibition, so I knew. Oh. <laughs> but of course, but of course. All right. Well, but did you also know that since 1948, there have been 11 recessions? Also, the average time a recession lasts is nine months. Not bad. Not even a whole year. That ain't bad. I know, right? So it's pretty interesting because, you know, when we think about like the timeline, a lot of folks think that recessions go on forever. And there have been some in history that have gone on forever. But, you know, when you look at it, if you look at the, if you do a breakdown of those months and how many times those GDP readings came through, then it kind of tells you exactly like the timeline as it pertains to the recession. And there's always this running phrase that you never really know that you're in a recession until you're coming out of it, unless you're paying attention to the data, which means that you can see it coming. So, so let's, let's get into the next slide, shall we? Cause I wanted to do, I wanted to actually look at this on screen with you. Okay. So, here are the list of all recessions dating all the way back to we're going to take the modern era which is outside of the 1800s and into the starting in the 1900s so first starting in 1929 now of course the longest running recession which was also one of the great depressions which was back in 1929 in march uh 1933 which lasted three years and seven months but then time until the next recession it was four years and two months mm -hmm. so pretty interesting mm -hmm. so if you notice like during a time period where we went from four years six years three years three years three years two years and then eight years which meant that we had something we were kind of booming during this period but then three years four years then one year um which was and that we're going to get into that one because that one's very interesting where it's like from 1980 like in 1980 you technically had I think it was like two during that period of time you had two recessions one lasted for six months and then the other one lasted for a year and four months and then of course bring us all the way up to like the one before of course 2020 was of course the financial crisis which was 07 to 09 which lasted a year and six months now here's the interesting part about it because let's look at it can we can we take a quick look at this real quick jolyn mm -hmm. When we think about that 2007, 2009, which was kind of like considered one of the greatest depressions of the modern era, right? It only lasted a year and six months, which lets you know exactly how far along we've come as, as an economy or either as a global or even just as a domestic economy. And how is it that we're able to bounce back a lot faster from these things? So think about it. The dot-com bubble bust and everything else took eight months mm -hmm. you like those are companies that literally just got wiped out and then of course you have the 0709 which lasted just a little bit longer than say for example those other two it's kind of crazy once you like when you kind of think about it okay so let's move on into the next part because this is where it starts to get a little bit into when we start thinking about economic cycles. Now, of course, you know, if you're looking at it over, it's over time, but then at the same token, the level of real output, AKA growth or gross domestic product. So you notice how we go through these peaks and then it's like we go, we peak and then we go through, we break the line of the growth trend. And then of course we go into recession. And then it's like that where we get into that recession, 
right before we go into that recovery phase is if you've been noticing, if you've been listening to some of the media outlets, they've been talking about peak to tro. So peak to tro means like the highest level all the way to the lowest level. And so essentially we've broken the growth, like that's where we break a growth trend and then we come all the way down to the very base, AKA the bottom. And then of course that is like a signal where we start to see activity start to, you know, literally build right back up. So Mark, now, we're in the trough phase, right? Huh? We're in the trough yeah, so, phase right now. So right now we're in that, we're, we're pretty much in that trough territory where a lot of folks are starting to ask, have we bottomed out? And honestly, we won't know until we start to see inflation really start to come down. So when we start to see that some of those indicators start to come down, then that's when you start to see that, okay, hey, everybody looks around and says, all right, coast is getting a little bit clearer. We feel a little bit more comfortable in spending because of course, if you're spending capital, you don't want your, ca your cost of capital to be ridiculously high. Right. So those are the things in which that we look at as it pertains to indicators of letting us know that the coast is clear. All right, so let's examine some of these recessions, shall we, in the modern era. So for those, like, this is just going to be a quick lesson for folks in whom which that need to understand. So the recession lasted 16 months in 1973-1975, from November to November of 73 to March uh, 75. Uh, the OPEC oil embargo is blamed as the quadrupling oil for quadrupling oil prices. Hmm, interesting, but actually, but it was actually the actions taken by President Richard Nixon also contributing to the recession. Like, for example, the wage controls, uh, which made salaries too high and, and forced businesses to lay off workers. Hmm, interesting. Keeping prices too, too high while reducing the demand. That sounds. I mean, we have some layoffs. Very familiar. <laughs> okay, so let's learn a little bit about what took place in the 80s. So in the 80s, now remember when I said that this was a very interesting case, because there was, there was one during the first six months of the 1980s, and the second lasted 16 months from July, hmm, interesting, 1981. Uh, to November 1982. The Fed caused this recession by raising interest rates to combat inflation. Hmm. Very interesting. That reduced business spending. Now, of course, you had the Iranian oil embargo aggravated economic conditions by reducing U.S. oil supplies, which drove up, which drove prices up. You know, Jolyn, this is looking yeah. very, very familiar. It is. <laughs> <laughs> this is looking very familiar. It's like that one friend where you go out and it's like they always wear that same outfit and then they always have the audacity to ask you how they look and you're like, um, familiar? Um, this is exactly how it's starting to this is exactly how it's starting to play out. All right, so in 2001, the recession lasted eight months from March to November. It was caused by a boom and subsequent bust in dot-com businesses. The 9-11 attack worsened the recession, and unemployment continued rising until it peaked at 6.3% in June of 2003. Again, looking at those three, it sounds very familiar to some of the traits in which that we're seeing here. Like, for example, if you look at 2001, you can say, okay, hey, we can start seeing some of the, we can see some of the, like, things like, for example, with a lot of your SPAC deals, alongside with, say, for example, if we're looking at a 9-11 attack, we can look at that as it pertains to Ukraine and Russia. And then, of course, the only thing that we're not seeing is unemployment, because unemployment is still, still sitting at its low. But then again, it's like, you know, I'm kind of thinking that those numbers are a little bit fudged. So, you know, take it or leave it. And 
there was 0809. We're not going to talk about this, are we, Jolene? <laughs> you know what? Let's that's fine. Let's just move through it. Let's just quickly move through it. For those of you that need to know, the subprime mortgage crisis triggered a global bank credit crisis in 2007. By 2008, the damage had spread to the general economy through the widespread use of derivatives. So, like for example, you heard that a lot of folks were caught up in the derivative piece, which ultimately just only added fuel to the fire, and which ultimately caught a lot of banks. You know, literally, I mean. Y'all know the story. So GDP in 2008 shrank in three quarters, including an 8.5% drop in Q4. Then the unemployment rate rose to 10% in October of 2009, lagging behind the recession that caused it. So as you can see, there was aftershock effects. Now, why is it that I'm not really talking about 2008, 2009? Because if you notice some of the traits as it pertains to what we see within the 2008, 2009, uh, recession or great or depression it is not the same as those other three dates in which that we saw now let's get back to some of the initial stuff that I probably have shared with you before in a previous school of investing like for example if the money supply increases too much businesses will expand too fast their demand for new buildings or machines or workers will grow faster than they're being supplied and when too much money chases too few goods, their prices will increase, resulting in what? Inflation. Mm -hmm. Now, this isn't the only reason inflation occurs. For example, if people expect there to be inflation, they'll ask for higher wages, which forces businesses to charge more for their products, resulting in higher price levels and thus AKA, again, you guessed it, inflation. So, for example, look at wage inflation. You have some companies out there that are now, when they're hiring, or when they were hiring, they were actually not hiring at 2022 uh, wage levels. They were actually hiring and pay they're now paying people at 2023 uh, wage levels. And they're using that because of the fact that the, the competition and the market is just so competitive when it comes for talent, especially top tier talent, that essentially that they're willing to now that they're, they're looking to have to spend even higher now here's the challenge though because the thing is is that after a while that faucet is going to have to turn off now for those of you that need that other part of inflation so if it so inflation it often creates winners and losers it can benefit people who owe others money typically if you borrow hundred dollars you will continue to owe hundred dollars even if there is an inflation and the actual value of a dollar has declined. So if people in debt are getting paid a higher wage because of inflation, it will require a smaller portion of their income to repay those debts. So that's one of the benefits, and like I said, in which that it can actually work in other people's favors. Now, let's get to this other thing, shall we? Because a lot of times we just look at recessions, we look at inflation, we look at all these things, and we miss out on something called an opportunity. Ooh. And there's opportunities that are always around us. If we're really truly paying attention, then we will see them. Whether it's in the stock market, whether it's in real estate, whether it's in like, you know, an opportunity to create a company, which I'm gonna get into. But let me leave you guys with some words of wisdom from other folks in whom wish that have walked this life before I came onto the earth. Um, so, for example, nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity by one H. Jackson Brown Jr. Now, I don't know the author of this one, so as you can see, it's blank, but pretty much 
It says, nothing is worse than missing an opportunity that could have changed your life. Mm, mm, mm. And many times, like the reason why I, I put that there is because many times we focus on a lot of other things that literally sidetrack us from the opportunity or maybe even sometimes we sub we sidetrack ourselves by literally we get in the way of some of sometimes our own greatness. And again, it's an opportunity that we miss. Now, sometimes your entire life boils down to just one insane move. Like one choice, one decision that literally is an opportunity that literally can be just completely game changing. Just remember this though. Opportunities neglected can never be recovered because it never knocks twice. Hmm. Say that okay. again. Say it again. Oh. <laughs> you said what? Say that one again. Oh, I just said opportunities neglected can never be recovered because it never knocks twice. Hmm. Okay, so think about all of the companies that saw innovation as the opportunity and not as a threat before, during, and right after a recession kind of crazy right you know when we think about like for example companies like could it really be that we see companies that literally saw an opportunity even in the midst of an economic downturn or when things were inflated like you guys heard the data of what I said during those periods of time do you know of any companies that started during those times that literally just said you know what to heck with it I see a problem I'm gonna go try to solve it well, you know, let's take a look at some of those companies, shall we, Jolyn? Yes, get into it. And here we are. We got General Motors launched in 1908. We have IBM, which launched in 1911. We have Disney, 1929. Hyatt Hotels, 1957. FedEx in 1971. Microsoft and Apple, both in 1975 and 1976. Netflix rebranded, not launched, but rebranded in 2008. Square and Venmo both launched in 2009, and of course Uber in, in 2009. So, very, very interesting. But let's actually do, say for example, let's, I, I want you guys to just look at these companies for a second. Right? Let's just look at them for a hot second. Now let's think about it. General Motors, right? Yep. You know, of course, it was, you know, it started in the 1800s with, you know, horse-drawn carriages. I mean, we all know about that. But it wasn't until 1908, in the middle of the 30% business declines during during the 13-month panic in 1907, that, the found, like, that founder William Durant decided to launch GM as a holding company to acquire even more automobile manufacturers. This strategy would serve GM well as it would go on to become one of the largest corporations in the history of the world at that time. Okay, well, let's look at IBM. IBM started in 1911, right? Uh, got, it, got started selling commercial and business machines right in the middle of a, two, uh, a long two-year panic. While industries everywhere saw double-digit declines in activity, you know, that wasn't IBM. They were not, on, not, not only survived, but they thrived. And ultimately, like, literally kicked it off for the digital revolution that would literally spawn later on. I mean, if we look at Disney, right? You know, of course, you know, in 1929, the brothers, they produced Walt Disney Productions right as the nearly four-year Great Depression was just getting started. You know, when we look at Hyatt Hotels, you know, 
two months into the recession of 1958, you know, Hyatt was started. You know, literally near, I think it was like Los Angeles, I think it was LAX, well, what we know of today is Los An LAX, but uh, Los Angeles International Airport. You know, eventually this would lead on to 900 properties and annual revenues exceeding $5 billion. Let's get to some of the other ones, like for example, Microsoft, right? In 1973, an oil crisis coupled with stock market crash led to a 16-month recession where the GDP took its worst hit in nearly 20 years, like I had said earlier, right? Microsoft launched April 4th, 1975, literally just days after the recession was considered, was considered officially over. Within a decade, though, the company grew substantially and launched an IPO in 1986, making three billionaires and 12,000 millionaires in the process. And then, of course, we know of, like, for example, you know, Venmo, Square, and Uber. But the reason why I threw up Netflix as a rebrand, which is very, very interesting, because that rebrand in which that Netflix had did, like, think about it. If it wasn't for Netflix doing that rebrand in 2008, then we wouldn't even know of streaming content as it stands today. That's when streaming actually started, during the financial crisis in 2008. Which is remarkable, considering they also took out, you know, established companies like Blockbuster. They changed the whole landscape of how we Correct. entertain. Correct. And, you know, once a company, you know, is in the lexicon, um, as far as, you know, Netflix and chill or what have you, you know, yeah. it's a cultural phenomenon, like, and it's just going to continue to grow. So it's it's interesting looking at um, these companies and how they launched and then what was that pivot point for them Yep. Yep. in the context of a recession. Like, if that does not instill some type of, you know, hope and I don't, I don't know what else will. So it's interesting that you mentioned that, Jolyn, because this leads me into the pretty much my final slide, which is bear versus bull markets. You know, the part of the conversation that nobody talks about. Like, it's easy for us to talk about, okay, hey, yeah, the market's down between 20 to 25% from its high or even the NASDAQ down what is it, 30, 35% from its all-time highs? I mean, it's easy to have that conversation. It's easy to talk about, like, the fact that, you know, hey, investors, you know, across the board, whether you're institutional or retail, you're getting crushed. You know, it's very rare to find, like, if, if in a bull market you had, it was rare for to see, you know, firms out there beating the S&P 500 benchmark. And now this year, it's like, imagine... How many of those companies or individual investors are actually beating the S&P 500 benchmark now? You know, that that's the thing. It's like, you know, and then it's like when we start thinking about it, here's the thing that nobody talks about. Normally when you find yourself in the bear market, what are some of the what are some of the traits that we see? Panic. Mm -hmm. We see folks looking for answers, we see strife, we see capitulation, which means that people are on the verge of giving up. But notice something. Like when you're in a bull market, like when when everything is going in the direction in which that everybody expects it to, nobody really pays attention to the things that are like that, like for example, the innovation or say for example, the things that need to, that should be looked at. You know, everybody kind of like scoffs at those because of the fact is it's like they want the things in which that are uber successful, the things that are like, hey, if it's not broke, then don't fix it. 
Mm -hmm. Like think about it. Like the reason why I showed those companies on that on that slide was because of the fact that if they didn't have this one specific type of mindset where it's like where they didn't follow everybody else in the current, which everybody was just like, okay, hey, I'm going to hold on for dear life and just or just, you know, literally just go and do this. Then honestly, it's like we wouldn't see an Apple. We said we wouldn't see a Microsoft. We wouldn't have Hyatt hotels. We wouldn't have GM. We wouldn't have Uber. We wouldn't have Square, Venmo, all these other players. We wouldn't have them. And so the thing is, what they did is, it's like normally everybody pays attention a lot closer to the problems in a bear market. Nobody does it in a bull market. And the only problems that they look at are the problems of their own, but they don't look at the problems that literally are impacting everybody. The reason why I say that is because, you know, everybody looks at the bear market as a negative thing. But if you look at, say, for example, what comes after that, you know, think about all, think about like whether it's a bear market or even a recessionary time or think about all the things that typically happen right after. You just saw that essentially that, you know, normally the average time is about nine months for, a, for the duration of a recession. So the thing to think about it is who are the players now? that nobody is talking about that are literally doing the necessary grunt work. The companies that are spending right now, nobody's talking very heavily about them. Only the thing that you, the things that, and you're gonna have to look beyond the general facet of the media of what you see. You're gonna have to look beyond that. You're gonna have to, this is the part where you're gonna have to dig deep and say, okay, hey, well, we know the things that were coming. Those things are not stopping. They're still coming you got to pay attention to, okay, hey, like this is where that thesis and everything else, that bull and bear case thesis, this is where it really starts to activate. This is where it's like, okay, hey, all right, the bull case, it's not there right now. Base case, maybe, but we're in the bear case right now. But even in a bear case, there is a ton of opportunity that nobody's talking about. For example, I'm going to give a prime example. How many, how many tech companies across the board have we seen that they've been doing hiring freezes? A lot, right? I was thinking more about the percentages. I feel like the percentages of the companies have been pretty high. Like, you know, with uh, Redfin, for example, on their 8% yep. time yep. freeze, some that were 18%. Um, yep. The percentages seem to be high for those um, hiring. Well, those are just the layoffs. Yeah. Now we're also talking about the hiring freezes where it's just like, you know, hey, where people were applying and then it's like they find out that, oh, well, the you know, the company stopped the hiring process because of the fact that, hey, we just frozen. So the interesting part, though, that like people aren't paying attention to, though, is there's one company that I know that was actually on this list that actually started in 1975 that they've still been hiring. Microsoft. AKA Microsoft. Microsoft has been still hiring like crazy. My cousin just got a job with Microsoft. Shout out to cousin Chris. <laughs> there you have it. Mm -hmm. And there's other companies that are like that because why? The companies in which that built up strong cash stockpiles and the companies that truly care about like, okay, hey, we're still in this trajectory. We're still on this roadmap. And this is where it's like, I'm going to give you guys a golden nugget. 
start paying attention to what is a company's roadmap strategy. Now, of course, you have your, say for example, your earnings reports that tell you like, okay, hey, these are the things that transpired, but has anybody really paid attention, gone back to pay attention to those investor days? You know, those annual shareholder meetings? You know, during those meetings, they do tend to give you glimpses as it pertains to what is their roadmap strategy for moving forward. And many times they're thinking best case, worst case, and base case scenario. Those are the things to pay attention to. You know, it's like a lot of the things that we look at as it pertains to GDP, of course, it's like, okay, hey, well, yeah. Yeah, we would be in a flat GDP arena if, say, for example, we're still dealing with, you know, medi we're, we're median demand where the demand is still there. But, you know, for example, the Fed has already said, hey, we've done everything that we can do. We'll even give you the 75 basis point move and we'll possibly even give you a second 75 basis point move down the road. But that's all that we can do. We're still, we're still gonna have to tighten up because just in case if there is a recession, you never know during a recession, sometimes quantitative easing tends to come back. But again, we need to clear our balance sheet so that way we can be prepared for those things. So that's all, they've done everything that they can do. The Fed can't control the supply side. The only thing that they can do is they can slow down the demand so that way the supply can catch up. But it also takes other entities in which that Fed, I think Fed Powell also alluded to in saying that, hey, we need some also we need some things to take place on the administrative on the administration side for them to do some things that could also possibly have an impact on, say, for example, the supply. But it goes back to how easy it is to fall into the um, into the like a media narrative of you know panic and recession. Oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? It's like in these times, it pays to one, like look at it from like zoom out, mm -hmm. kind of take a lay of the land. But then also what for me, like especially in the context of this being the day after Juneteenth, and mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, just the, if we look at this from uh, a cultural perspective, yep. and we look at, you know, what it means to, to, be, to be down. Um, and moving into um, a new a new space um, when it comes to you know like freedom, we get to think about this other thing called resiliency. So like what what companies show that resilience factor? And this is right. why it is so important that everything that you study um, and that we study, we look at it from that cultural perspective because yeah. there are so much to glean from, you know, what the ancestors have taught us um, when it comes to resiliency. Even in the midst of a recession, there is opportunity. And we always talk about, you know, hope, you know, leave hope at the leave door. Hopes, leave hope at the door. You know, all, all those types of things. Um, but just imagine, like you, there has to be some level of hope. Like there has to be this belief that you that you have enough uh, wherewithal to get through this. Yep. Um, just like, and that's what's happening. That's what we're seeing with some of these companies that are, like you said, spending money in the midst of a recession. They're still spending money because they believe not only in their roadmap, but they believe in their own vision of like what's to come. And, and give it nine to 12 months. Give it nine to 12 months. Yeah. The companies that are spending now, 
they tend to they tend to, you tend to start to see those things happen within nine to twelve months. You should start seeing the effects of that because here's the thing, like and here's another part that a lot of folks don't pay attention to because they, the first thing that they think about is like the company's laying off. Well, yeah, but the company had all this they they had all this massive spending towards some type of innovative idea. And then now that the innovative idea has been, you know, literally created or whatever it is, the next vertical integration has been created. Now it's like the talent has to probably change because it now needs to be supported with a little bit of building, but not as much builders as it once needed. There's that. There's also this thing where it's like, I want to also let folks know, like, and you hit it on the head, Jolyn, is that one of the things, like a lot of folks don't realize, especially within our community or within our culture, that your culture is also your superpower. Your The culture is your advantage versus everybody else. Like, think about it. You know, think about how many things, how many companies out there are now looking to us to say, okay, hey, well, we know that you guys have always been trendsetters and everything else. Well, we need you more. The culture is your superpower. If you really just tap into that level of conscious, as well as using that level of conscious as it pertains to what you've learned within building your thesis for every, for every single company that you track, or say, for example, looking at a sector, or looking at, say, for example, you know, the markets in general, with, of course, applying that whole economic mindset, then you really start to realize that you're actually at an advantage. Though that the market is doing what it does, it, it, it's going to do what it does. But that's the point. you got to look beyond that to see exactly where the opportunities are. Like, well, that's... That like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go ahead and go out on the limb and say this. I'm a permable when it comes to tech. Which means that I'm permanently, forever, going to be bullish when it comes to technology with a splash of consumer discretionary because of how the sectors are set up, you know, but yet, at the, but I'm forever going to be bullish. And the data kind of tells me that there's moments in time when it's not bullish, but more often than not is it's bullish because of the fact that look at the things in which that technology creates, look at the things in which that technology does, you know, will I always be right there? Absolutely not. Will I have moments in which that, you know, hey, that it just doesn't go my way for the time being? Absolutely. But not more often than not, you know, I, I believe and I know that I'm going to come out winning because of the fact that, again, I know where markets are going in the long term and I know essentially what they're going to need. And I know exactly what the framework is or what the foundation is on what it's going to be built on. I'm always bet on three things. Anything leisure centered, technology, and black. I'm always gonna bet on black. <laughs> Period. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the thing the things to look at there is again, you know, of course we know that okay, hey, we're in a bear market. But this is the moment in time when it's like, okay, hey, you got to start looking at, like, for example, there's, there was a report out, I think it was from Bank of, like, that had Bank of America setting a target for the S&P 500 to be at 8,000 by 2028. Say that again? 
Yeah, exactly. Like, let's pawn that replay real quick. There was a report in which that Bank of America, there was like, a, there was a report that came out of a bank, that a Bank of America, which was a target by 2028, the S&P 500 would probably be at, I think it was 83 or 8,900. Yeah. So again, it's like, okay, what's going to get us there? This bear market that we're in? Temporary. Like I said, out of the last 50 years, there was how many, what was it, seven? <laughs> seven bear markets? Was it seven? Or seven, seven bear markets in the last 50 19, years? And I remember a number, I think, it, oh wait, no, that was nine months. Those are the only yeah. numbers that stick in my head. Yeah. Seven. So, I mean, these are the things in which that we got to like literally legit pay attention to. And if I get the chance, I will definitely post that article on my Twitter account just so that way the data can be there. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like these things in which that we go through over a period of time. It's like when we look at it from a longer term trajectory, then it's like, of course, it's gonna be it's gonna look like it's like a blip on the screen you'll still see it there and there'll still be a story there in the grand scheme of things it's just different it's, it's like that's where it's like when you see those moments in time you get to see like that's when the next innovation that's when the next companies were created that's when say for example the like literally the money really got active so Forget what you hear as it pertains to you saying, like people telling you that venture capitalists are not spending or angel investors are not spending. Absolutely not. You can go talk to KKR. You can go talk to A16Z. You can go talk to any of the other private equity funds out there. They are spending. They're investing. They may not be investing their dollars in a specific domestic arena right now because maybe it's going cold or maybe they're moving on or they see opportunity in other areas for a bigger splash. But best believe, their dollars are definitely being spent. Their dollars are definitely being spent. Like the next wave of innovation is literally happening now. The next opportunities are happening now. The infrastructure is still being built. The next wave of, say, for example, consumer, the next wave of retail, all those things right now are being built, tested, and also invested in. And there's also a ton of large companies out there that are more than willing to gobble up some of those other companies so that way they can increase, they can add yet again another vertical integration to their company. Like, you know, people are talking about Meta. You know, what happens the day that Meta literally starts to compete against Alibaba? Now that's going to that's gonna be the one where you want to get your popcorn and sit back and watch. It's like... When the public markets, you know, are acting up, so to speak, it sets the stage for private equity mega returns. Because mm -hmm. you can get in on the ground floor, so to speak, mm -hmm. and ride that elevator, like, up. But it also, it's like this, it's, it's the ebb and flow of it, you know? Like, more in the bull market, you need to be getting your duckets, get, you know, it's a heist. Take all that. Take yeah. money. When we're in a recession, you know, start thinking about like, okay, private equity, where am I moving my money to? And then we'll be yeah. back, you know, on the bull market again. You know, it's just, it ebbs and flows. It does. It does. 
And it's like, the thing is, it's like you got to look beyond exactly like the pain and everything else in which there are the red that you see within your portfolios or whatever it is. You got to start thinking about it in the sense of, and here's the other part, you know, for, you know, because some people ask me, hey, Mark, you know, you know, if it was you, what would you be doing? You know, if you were in, say, for example, this current, you know, marketing, you don't fully know. Cash is a position. Cash is a position while you build up your thesis and you understand. You know, you don't have to literally be a trader. You can literally just be an investor and sit and wait. You know, there's a reason why you hear about people talking about dividends, you know, because again, it's like when the market becomes a little bit more sketchy, then people look towards income. When the market becomes less sketchy and they start looking at expansion and growth, then they start to look at growth. You know, if you look, like I said, you go ask any financial advisor out there, there's only two things in which that they look at. They either look at it from a growth perspective to, to advise their clients or they look at it from an income perspective. And they typically like to have somewhat of a healthy median based upon where you are in your life cycle or your age or whatever your financial goals are. You know, there is no such like, you know, a lot of folks say that how you recession proof your portfolio and everything else. I mean, me personally, it's like I never always quite believed in that, but I do believe that there is good, there's good in diversification. But again, it's like, you know, you've got to make the best decision that's right for you and your family. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where it comes down to. And you can't just go off of exactly like, yeah, we put tickers out there for you to research and for you to look at. And most likely the folks in which that are doing it the right way, they not only look at the things that are on our list of stocks that we pick, which we spend a great deal of time, like literally going through and also like gathering information about but they also open up other opportunities for you to look at other companies that are also either competing or say for example companies that are similar to so again it's like it's not the end-all be-all but it's just the thing is it's a starting launch pad for you to get started for you to start developing your own thesis or start developing your journey your path as it pertains to what it looks like you know, there's there's folks out there that I know that little there's a guy that I know that literally Jolin, he literally only trades Verizon. That's the only stock that he trades. Mm. There's another person that I know. She little and we had her on the show like early on back in the day. One by the name of Cousin Britta, where she was literally the dividend. She literally just focused on purely dividends and value based companies. She's probably buying hell of stocks right now. Right. So again, and then there's other folks in whom which that like, okay, hey, I have a healthy medium between stock as well as it pertains to having some long term trades. You know, you got to like, honestly, depending on whatever thesis that you put together, it's got to fit right for what it is that what you wrote and what you put together. And yes, I did, Dave, I did. I, I did do that. <laughs> all right so let's let's what are the takeaways like you know what is the big takeaway you know the thing is is like you know for folks in whom much that are go like many of you have lived through recessions or you've lived through bear markets before you know if you have a 401k then you've probably and you've worked for let's say 10 years or five years you probably have experienced a bear market before whether or not you were paying attention to your 401k or not, then, you know, hey, that's different. But yet at the same token, when you looked at it, it's like, okay, hey, you saw value there. Um, 
how is it that I'm looking at things? And this is just for me. How is it that I'm looking at things? I'm looking at it from the same perspective in which that, honestly, I'm looking at it over the still the long term and I'm looking at what long term what long term play or what players over the long term will ultimately win out. You know, I, I it's like the reason why, like for example, I went on record and said, you know, hey, I've pretty much I'm banking on Tesla and the reason why is because of the fact that I just don't believe over the trajectory of time, especially over a two to three year span, I just don't see any of its competitors catching it. Unless, say, for example, t Elon just says, you know what, y'all, we're just going to stop here <laughs> and just wait for everybody to catch up. That would be I mean, hilarious. It would be. It would be like kind of like the tortoise and the hare. But like this is a smart hare where he's just like, look, man, I'm still sprinting. <laughs> Forget what you heard, you know. And for me, like, that's where my thesis is very strong because of the fact that I believe that even though that as costs go up and as we're in an inflated market, I still see that no, no other company out there is literally going to be able to challenge Tesla as it pertains to taking away significant market share in the interim time. So in our last uh, three minutes, um, I do want to say, so we're not having a supplemental Sunday this Sunday. Um, but anybody who has um, new information that they want to present, hit up TiVo um, so he can get you scheduled. And then also the other thing I want to say is, because I really <laughs> I didn't say it, I didn't say it. But um, we do have a lot to, you know, explore. this is the second half now of the year. You know, what do they call it? Second half adjustments. There is still time to hit goals. There is still time to um, to gain. You know, so it's always it's, there's always room for the turnaround. Yeah, there's always room for the turnaround. But of course, it's like there's certain there's certain economic indicators that need to play out, in which that and then on top of that, the market also has to become exhausted as it pertains to hearing about the same thing over and over again to where it becomes desensitized and it's ready to move on. You know, I'm I would say probably within the next two months, I wouldn't be surprised if I start hearing like on the crypto side, I wouldn't be surprised if I start hearing that I'm hearing about more miners or crypto miners where they're getting more active because why? I mean, I think that if you're looking at say, for example, certain energy costs in certain areas, it's still cheap. I would look at, say, for example, you know, do I see this Ukraine-Russia fiasco still continuing? It's possible. It's very, very possible. As we go into the cold parts of the year, then yeah, we start to see energy rise. But at the same token, it's like, am I surprised that I'm seeing that, you know, energy companies are literally price gouging right now for profits? No. It's going to be very interesting when those earnings come out, though, when we start seeing exactly like, okay, hey, how really good were those profit margins? That's the part that people should start paying attention to, because I'm, I'm sure that it's not just the people that are going to be paying attention to, but I'm probably sure it's going to be regulators and everybody else that are also going to be paying attention. Well, you know, take a sip because that's our time. 
Alright, well, thank you so much everybody for watching the show. We hope that you learned and that you're still growing. Um, you know, honestly, if you don't take anything away from, if you took nothing away from what I said, and you're still like looking for the ultimate like meaning and purpose, is the thing is that what I said about opportunities. You know, honestly, missing on opportunities are costly. So at this point in time, you know, really start looking at and seeing what the opportunities are that are not just in front of you, but the things that you can see as opportunities that are down the road. Yeah. And, and remember sure. that your superpower is, cult is your culture. <laughs> I like that one too, Mark. I like that one too. And also some of y'all could be creating your own opportunities out here. You know, be, what do I say? Be a pie, a baker, not a pie, a taker. Say that one more time. Be a pie baker, aka maker, not just a pie taker. Like, be someone who creates value. Yeah. Not just takes value. Like, create it. You know, for those of y'all that don't know, it's like I'm more so in startup mode. I don't know how many times I've said this, but, you know, literally, what is it? Ten startups now that are literally that I'm literally working on, working with, and all black founders. You know, honestly, like, you know, in market times like this, this is where the opportunities get going. You know, there's, I wanna leave everybody with one last story and I'll, I, I promise Julian I'll make it brief. And my mentor knows this, so shout outs to Cause Roberts if you're watching. Um, in 2007, Cause had called me to, st to help him get Urban Tech Systems started. Now, it was originally RCT Engineering, which was a company that was based out of the, the Midwest and East Coast. And he had to transition such a company. That company started in 2007. Now, at the time, there was probably 32 competitors within that space of his industry, which was civil engineering and construction management. And this is just here in Washington State. When we came out of the recession, those numbers were cut in half. And the one thing that, that I always applaud cause for doing was, like, because he could have easily just said, you know what, this is not going to work out and ultimately just, like, close business and ultimately go work at, you know, for the, for the city of Seattle or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he took a chance on himself and also on his team and said, you know what, we're going to do this. And he came forth with, another, with a different vantage point. And since then, his firm still exists. Urban Tech Systems still exists this day. One of the very few firms that is still standing and is also a black firm standing. In which that, you know, honestly, I feel privileged to like have had that opportunity. But just think about it, where most folks would have never started a firm during 2007 to 2009, he did. So that goes to show something and to me that inspired me most because it lets me know that when everybody gets fearful, this is where the tough really start get going. So I leave you all with that one. Keep learning, keep researching because the more you learn, the more you earn. And until next time, I'm Mark Monroe. And I'm Dylan GC in a place called Free. <laughs> and this was... Hopefully, your come up. We'll see y'all next week. Peace, y'all.